Good. Okay. Thank you very much. Uh, my name is Jeffrey Beinman, and uh, uh, I am a member of the Steering Committee of Independent Jewish Voices, as, as um, is another of the speakers. And uh, I was asked to chair this somewhat at the last minute, so any deficiencies I hope you'll put down to my um, lack of preparation. But um, the purpose of this meeting is to introduce Professor Shlomo Sand and his, uh, and his latest book, copies of which are, are here, together with his, his earlier book. And um, we, we intend to have a discussion about the, uh, the content of the book. I don't know how many people have read it, but we'll have, we'll have a, a good account of, of, of the, the thesis of the book. Uh, from uh, Professor Sand, but also uh, we're fortunate to have Professor Donald Sassoon with us, uh, and I, I'm going to ask him to make some introductory remarks, which which will perhaps give us an account of uh, of of the book and the background uh, to the book, and then I'll then I'll call on Professor Sand, and then after that we'll uh, we'll open up the meeting to all of you for questions and perhaps some, <coughs> some comments. So um, can I ask uh, Professor Sassoon to, to say a few words? Yes, um, this, is, um, this is Shlomo's second book in what I understand is a trilogy, which in English would be The Invention Of. So we've had The Invention of a Jewish People, which was launched uh, in England at least, was launched here, was it three years ago? Something like that? Four years. Four years ago. Um, now, today, we're having the invention of the land of Israel, and I'm told uh, that you better brace yourselves for uh, the invention of the secular Jew. Yeah. Um, you. Hmm? You. Us, yes. Yes. Uh, <laughs> I did not, I always thought I existed, but, you know, I mean, <laughs> having, having read the previous two books, um, which I must say, although I have been a secular Jew for a pretty long time, um, even those first two books destabilized some of my, some of my um, beliefs. Um, to allow me just a very, very brief semi-autobiographical note, because one of the reviews um, the previous book got, I think it's the one by Simon Sharma in the Financial Times, and... Uh, Simon said that there's nothing new about this. Uh, there's nothing new about the invention of the Jewish people, that everybody in Golders Green is perfectly aware of that, which came to me as a complete <laughs> shock, since everybody I know in Golders Green was not at all aware um, of that. So that would have been a revelation. But also, I happen to have um, gone to a Jewish school, and nearly all the myths you list in both the previous book and this book uh, were taught, well, not even taught, were taken to be absolutely normal. And I remember, in particular, in the previous book, something about which I was not quite sure is when Shlomo says that, strictly speaking, there never was an expulsion of the Jews from the original land of Israel, etc., etc. Since I'm a skeptical historian, and since I know in France uh, someone who is a great specialist uh, of Roman history, um, I asked her, I said, you know, 
I never thought about that. I, I took it for granted that, of course, like the Jews were expelled. I mean, it doesn't mean that they have a right to go back or a state, yeah, yeah, you know, sure. I mean, all that. But nevertheless, I thought that as a matter of historical fact. And she said, poof, absolutely not. Um, Jews were not, you know, Romans never expelled anybody. They killed people. You know, a but lot. they didn't actually bother to actually, you know, put them on a cart, and they, you know, it's much too expensive. You know, to destroy someone, you know, you you just execute the whole lot. So of course the Jews were. Everybody, she says, knows that. And I said, no, everybody who's a specialist in Roman history knows that. Yes, she said, that's what I meant. I said, yes, but there are people <laughs> in the wider world who are not specialists in in Roman in Roman history. So I, um, you know, that that is. The, one of the things that I was not sure about the, the first one. The second one finds me much more um, um, fascinated and interested, because this is very much the material of the historian of 19th and 20th century Europe, namely the definition of the state, the boundaries of the state, the nation of the state, and so on. And I know you are an admirer of Renan, because Ernest Renan, who wrote a very famous lecture back in 1882, uh, Qu'est-ce que c'est une nation? What is, uh, what, what is a nation? Which, you know, there's, there's a whole literature about that. And one of the things that Renan says, a celebrated aphorism, he, he more or less says uh, that uh, um, the people who make up the nation remember, and if they don't remember, they make it up or, you know, forget the exact, uh, the, the exact words. And th this is part of creating a nation, he then also adds, much to the annoyance of historians, uh, because history is a threat to nationalism, because one of the tasks of the historians, uh, um, he wrote in 1882, which is not bad, uh, one of the tasks of the historians is precisely that of dismantling uh, some of the mythologies of nationalism. And since this meeting, uh, uh, apparently is in uh, memory of Eric Hobsbawm, yes? And Eric Hobsbawm was, uh, was my teacher. He, uh, I did my PhD under his supervision. One of the very things he insisted uh, and he thought is that the one thing historians must do is to uh, remember what people have either made up or have forgotten. This is the central task and I think Shlomo, whatever people might say about this or that part of the book, I mean, this is your central job. And even though you're, you're never trained as a historian, were you? As a historian, yes, yes. but not as a historian of Judaism no, of Zionism. No, of course, of France. No, no, no. but uh, France, yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Um, I don't want to speak at length because I want you to tell people about your central thesis. But one thing I want to say is that from a comparative point of view, because I'm a comparative historian, I like to look at A and then look at B and X and look at Y and compare and contrast. I mean, this is the sort of thing I like, I like doing. And reading this book, I thought Jews, Zionist, nationalist, but also, frankly, even Jews in general, like to emphasize their exceptionalism. We are special, uh, not because we're necessarily the chosen people, although this adds to the exceptionalism, because <laughs> God can only choose one, and you know, it had to be us. The old Jewish joke, couldn't you choose somebody else, you know? 
But everybody, every, na every nation which constructs itself also preaches exceptionalism. The Germans have a Sonderweg, the Americans have American exceptionalism, uh, l'exception française, the, the particularities of this, peculiarities of that. It's a sort of ongoing saga in which everyone insists that they are special. And one of the things that make them special is the unchanging nature of the past. Everybody else changes. Everybody evolves. There is history all around us, except for us, whoever we are, Italians, Hungarians, Americans, and so on. We have an essence which never changes. And the point of politics is to find what our essence is and then make it realize. And I was very amused by the discussion on the boundaries of the land of Israel, because uh, point out, strictly speaking, the actual, you know, a, a unified state of Israel actually, if it existed, existed for about a century. Mm? Um, otherwise, there is no uh, particular story. And since I've done that kind of <coughs> exercise for other European countries, it's very, very rare to have a state with national boundaries, uh, with the same national boundaries stretching back for a very long time. I mean, they keep on changing. And every time they change, um, somehow the nation does not, does not change. Had it not been, for example, for a little pact between the state of Piedmont and the French state, Nice would have been Italian. And instead of the Bouillabaisse, they would have had the uh, Zuppa di Pesce. And they would have been uh, patriotic Italians, just like the people who are a little bit on the other side of the border and are actually technically Italian feel like, like, like that. And one can multiply this. So in terms of demystifying the mythos, as you say, I think you've done an excellent job. I'm not sure your, your popularity in, in Israel, particularly in the establishment, will increase very much. Um, you know, that's not obviously not something you, 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 you want to. And my final point, because I want to listen to what you have to say, is is to insist on the unpopularity of Zionism among Jews. Um, you insist that the story that, uh, that for 2,000 years we all, we all wanted to go back, you dismiss it. It's just not true. That Jerusalem was a sort of, you know, next year in Jerusalem, okay, it's part of a prayer, but that's about it. We have no next year in Jerusalem. And, um, and even uh, both liberal rabbis and orthodox rabbis in the 19th century were anti-Zionist. In fact, the vast majority of Jews were anti-Zionist. And whether this would not confirm the increasingly held view that the real determinant of the construction of the present state of Israel um, and uh, Zionism has been anti-Semitism. Uh, had it not been for anti-Semitism, both in terms of the anti-Semitism, say, of Russia and the pogroms, the anti-Semitism, of course, in, uh, uh, during the, the, uh, oh, wow. the, but, you know, before, um, you know, Herzl himself, after all, was a, you know, secular Jew and, and so on. And then decisive, obviously, the Second World War, which, which, you know, makes it. And in a way, we are looking at the failures of Zionism in the sense that even though everybody now could go to Israel, even though there is finally a Jewish state, even though finally there is Yerushalayim, 
there, 10 million out of the 15 million Jews in the world have absolutely not the slightest intention to go there. They want to stay in America, they want to stay in Britain, in France, and so on and so forth. And finally, if I'm one last remark from my own background. I'm not, like many people here, um, an Ashkenazi Jew. I'm a Sephardi Jew. I was born in Egypt, uh, um, and my family is Middle Eastern Jewish. Um, my family left Egypt uh, shortly after my birth, this in 1947, for reasons <coughs> which have nothing to do with politics. or, But after 1956, um, a lot, most of the Jews who lived in, in Egypt left. Uh, they left because, of course, of the Suez Crisis. It had become increasingly uncomfortable. Some of them had been there for generations. They left. And we were then in, in Italy, and there was a constant stream of refugees going through Milan. And you know where they wanted to go? They wanted to, the rich ones went straight to Switzerland. The poor ones went to Argentina. Those who had relatives in the United States went to the United States, and an awful lot of them went to France. Very, very few went to Israel. So from a point of view of, of you know, the, the sort of you know, program is if something happens to you, then going to Israel is a sort of automatic re reflex. It did not work. As long as I could go somewhere, they, they did. Russian Jews who could not go to the United States went to Israel. Moroccan Jews who could not go anywhere else went to Israel. The poor ones. The poor ones. So that in a sense, Israel, you know, one would redefine Zionism. This is the land for poor Jews and American Jewish religious people who have, you know, yeah. <laughs> okay. I well, on that controversial uh, note, um, can we now go on to um, Professor Sand? And, and I'd just like to say this, that uh, this is really meant to be the launch of his latest book on the invention of, of the, land, the land of Israel, but his earlier book is, is so integrated with it that I, I would I think people would appreciate it if you could say a few words about the earlier book before you come on to the very shortly theme of the of the main of the, of the latest book. Yes. Very shortly, yes. uh, it's two parts of the same story in some way, and uh, I wrote the first book uh, because I got the full professorship in Tel Aviv, and I stopped to be afraid to to write and to think openly about a lot of questions that bothered me for a long time before. Then when I got the full professorship, I decided to write the first one. The first one was a very banal uh, book that I asked myself, first of all, what is a people? What is a nation? What is nationality? What is nationalism? Why I asked these questions? First of all, because from Britain came new voices in the 80s of the 20th century, like uh, Benedict Anderson, Gellner, and, uh, and Obsbaum, and a few others. Then uh, reading this uh, stuff, uh, I was thinking uh, why nobody is applying it to, to the Jewish history. Uh, we know that the English is kind of, uh, you know, new nation, 
the French, the Italian, but only the Jew were in the eternity, you see, 4,000 years. Now, I, I'm lucky that I'm living in the Tel Aviv University when the historians are more or less like the historians in England in the beginning of the 20th century, not in the beginning of the 21st century. Now, the other things that pushed me to write the first book was the discovery of the archaeologue, the Israeli archaeologue, about the fact that the exod, the famous exod of the Jews from Egypt, didn't happen. I remember the first time that I heard it, I was shocked. When I was young, I was leftist. But I believed that the exod, the kingdom of Solomon, of David, it's history. In knowing from the archaeologue that all this is myth, it never was a real kingdom of David and Solomon that covered all the land of Israel. Then I decided to start to attack the questions of a Jewish people, the existence of the Jewish people in a modern sense of the word people. It was simple. We cannot, I decide, to call all the cats cats, all the dogs dogs, in one cat to call them a dog. Why I'm saying it? Because we apply today the word people easily to human group that has in common a kind of secular culture, daily practice and all this language, food, music, a lot of things. In the case of the, Jew, the Jewish people, we have not 200 years ago a common thing between a Jew from Kiev and a Jew from uh, uh, Marrakesh. In common, there is something very important, but it's religion with all the practice around. But uh, when we are going uh, farther from the religion practice, we don't find something common between a Jew in Kiev and a Jew in in Marrakesh. This was the starting of my work. Examine the Zionist historiography in seeing how it was built, constructed, the idea of a people. And uh, as a, you know, you concluded very, very nicely uh, the way that I worked until arriving to, to publish this book. By the way, the exile, you know, I was educated. Not in a Jewish school in London. I passed all my years in Israel. The fact that the Jews were expelled from, from the land of Israel was the basic of my thinking about our collective identity. You understand? It's all so deep. I remember the day that I read a little, very short article of somebody that say, no, the exile didn't happen. And I remember running to the, to the library of our university that uh, has a lot and a lot of books about the history of Jews, really. And I was looking for one book, one research book about the, the act of the exile. And I remember I didn't find any book how the Jews were expelled from Georgia, from Palestine. I didn't find even one book. I remember the same day running to a few of colleagues that are occupying with, uh, you know, with ancient history and asked them, I'm shocked, the exile didn't happen? And they say, told me, we never wrote that the exile happened. And I said, come out to the corridor, ask the, all the students. 
everybody knows that the Jews were expelled from Judea 2,000 years ago. Yes, but it's not us. <laughs> and then I started to understand what is nationalism and what is the technology of diffusing historical consciousness. I, have, I think that everywhere it exists, but it was very sharp to me. The technology to diffuse uh, is some historical knowledge without any basic of evidence. Now, I wrote a book. It was translated to 20 languages. It didn't finish yet. I mean, it's continued to work. And it was a bestseller in Israel. My colleague didn't like the book, but the student liked it very, very much. They bought it. I didn't become a rich person, but they bought it. It was 19 uh, uh, weeks in the bestseller in Israel. You see, we are a very strange country. Now, you mentioned before Simon Shama. I don't know him personally, but in the Financial Times, he was one of the first to attack me by saying, we know everything about this, but everything is not true. It's one of the arguments. Everything we know before and everything is a lie. Now, he blamed me that I tried in my first book to cut the connection between Jews and the land of Israel. I was uh, surprised because it wasn't my purpose, really. I want to deconstruct, to decompose the idea of an ethnic, of a race that a lot of people, a lot of students around me believe in it. I didn't think about the land in the first book because I'm not so clever. And I didn't understand at the beginning the insist insistence of the Jewish people is because people have lands. Religious, religion don't have lands. It's very simple, very banal. And then because of Simon Shama and a lot of other Israeli Zionist historians, I decided to, uh, to write the second Terminator, Terminator 2, <laughs> about the land. Now, a few things I knew before. I knew, as you mentioned very nicely, that the Jews, 2,000 years ago, didn't want to go there. And today, I begged Woody Ellen to come to live with me in Tel Aviv. But he preferred the Goyes. Woody Allen, yeah? Mm -hmm. Now, not in the past and not in the present, Jews didn't want to go to Palestine. They didn't want to go to Palestine because Judaism, the place of, of Palestine in Judaism, is not at all the place of Palestine in Zionism. There is a deep, deep contradiction between Judaism and Zionism. In some way, Zionism is a kind of uh, you know, opposition, a complete opposition against Zionism. And the fact is, when Herzl established the Zionist movement, all the Jewish establishment, Orthodox, Reform, Conservative, were against Herzl. You know the Lubavitch today? that are very, very Zionist, very nationalist, very patriot. But the great, the great rabbi 
of Lubavitch in the beginning of 20th century was one of the first anti-Zionists in the Jewish establishment in the Russian Empire. To give you one little story, you know Herzl wanted to uni unify the first Congress of Zionism in München, in Munich. How is it in English? Munich. 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 You know, Basel was a little city in Switzerland. He wanted in Munich. Then he started to prepare the Congress in Munich in, a, in 1897. And then a petition. There were, there were 80 rabbis, great, important rabbis in Germany. Between the 80 rabbis of Germany, seven, uh, 78 signed that they will not accept a Zionist Congress on the land of Germany. Only the two of them didn't sign. 75 signed they will not accept a Zionist Congress on the land of Germany. They were between all the important rabbis of Germany. And the poor Herzl was obliged to go to Basel in Swiss. We are lucky, by the way, if you are seeing deeply. It's very, very good that the Congress, the first Zionist Congress, wasn't, you know, uh, wasn't established in Munich, <laughs> if you understand me. It's important. Now, you see, I wrote the book showing how the way, the, you know, not only the Zionist historiography translated the deep, the deep affinity, the deep relationship of the Jews to the Holy Land with the concept of a homeland. But in Jewish tradition, in Jewish religion, there is not a homeland. The Jew, like the Muslims, like the Christian, didn't have in history a homeland. It's very, it was very clear when I progressed in the book. The concept of a homeland is an ancient concept, and I try to, to make it clear in the beginning of the book. We can find in two occasions the notion of the homeland that can remind us the notion of the homeland today. It's the ancient Greek, and also in the Roman Republic before it became an empire. We have the notion of a patria, a patri, a fatherland in the ancient time, but we don't have this concept, political concept, in Palestine, in Canaan, in the Jewish tradition. There is not a homeland. The promised land is not a homeland for the Jews. The reason that they didn't emigrate 2,000 years to Palestine was clear. The relationship to the Holy Land was a metaphysical relationship. People don't want to go to live in a holy place. You are not very religious here. You don't understand what is to live in a real holy place. It's difficult <laughs> to make children, to be ill. Can you imagine all the things that we are doing daily in the daily life? To do it in a holy land? A Jew couldn't accept it. In the Talmud, very, very clearly forbidden the Jew to go collectively to Palestine. The only way to go to Palestine, like my grand-grandfather, was to go to Dida. In my grand-grandfather, I mentioned it at the beginning of the book, in the beginning of the 20th century, the, my grand-grandfather 
sold everything that he had, didn't give a dime to the children, took the money, and went to, the, to Jerusalem. He's buried in the Olive Mountain. Mount of Olives, yeah. The Mountain of Olives. The Mount of Olives. He's buried, I think, till today there. You know why? He didn't emigrate to Palestine to live there. He emigrated to Palestine to die. Why? Because after the, the Jewish tradition, uh, the people that are buried, the Jews that are buried near Jerusalem, they will wake up in the redemption, the first one. In my grandfa grandfather was like, you know, the guys that try to copy, uh, cut you from the right. He jumped the queue. Yeah. You, you understand? You want, for, you want to be from the first one that wake, wake up. You have to understand. Next year in Jerusalem is not to emigrate to Jerusalem. It's the redemption with all the death. With all the death. As you know, the Jews didn't accept the Messiah, Jesus Christ. This is the reason that they cannot, they couldn't become Zionists. The idea of Zionism started not in Judaism. It's your fathers that invented Zionism. You, the British. By the way, it started in the Puritan Revolution in the 17th century. The first idea to send Jews to the Palestine because the redemption will start, the real uh, redemption will start when the Jews will be sent to Palestine. We can find in the 17th century, in the Puritan Revolution, the idea that the Jews has to go there. From the 17th century till the 19th century, it started to develop here in London. In the middle of the 19th century, the father of the idea of Zionism wasn't Herzl at all. It was Lord Shaftesbury. You know, the, this slogan, a, a land without a people, a people without a land, is not at all Jewish. It's British. It's British. Sorry? No, no, it's British. OK. It's British. There are historians, ah, sorry, you don't think it's a good idea. This is the reason it's German. No. But by the way, Shaftesbury was the guy that diffused it largely in the audience, in the British audience, British journalism. Maybe he didn't invent the idea. But you know, the evangelists from the 19th century had a lot of influence of political persons in Britain. I will jump, I will make it shorter. 1917. Your Balfour, Lord Balfour, Arthur Balfour, give the declaration, the letter to Rothschild, you know. He sent the letter November 1917 to Rothschild, saying a homeland. In that time, we have to remember November 1917, <coughs> in Palestine, there are 700,000 Arabs. 60,000 of Jews. You have to remember, the Zionist Congress was in 1997. Uh, From 97 till 1917, yeah, it's uh, 20 years. 
only 30,000 Zionists emigrate to Palestine because the other 30,000 was anti-Zionist in Jerusalem. Jewish that were against the idea of a Jewish state. This is the date of the declaration of the Balfour in 1970. By the way, Balfour, and the others, member of the government, of the British government, Lloyd George and others, were pro-Zionist. Clearly pro-Zionist for a few, for a lot of reasons. One of the reasons was the background, the ideological religious background. The Jews, it will be good, they will return to Palestine. Secondly, is the interest. It always is going very practical in the British tradition now. You know, the imperialist uh, idea, the ideological idea. In about uh, Balfour himself, he was a little bit anti-Semitic. Very tough to the Jewish emigrate that came from the Russian Empire. Very, very tough. He's one of the responsible of the low anti-emigrate law in Britain against Jews that came from the East. And I asked myself, uh, writing the book, if he saw, you know, in Israel, Balfour is considered the uh, second Moses. A second Moses, really. There is a street, by the way, there is a street of, after Balfour, and not after a lot of other things, that it's very surprising that uh, they don't have, uh, you know, streets in Israel. But Balfour, there is even a village that, after the name of Balfour. He was an anti-Semitic. We have evidence that he, you know, he didn't like the Jews. And he was afraid from this emigration. And he's one of the responsible of the law against the Jewish emigration to Britain. But this is not so important. The, the departure point of the existence of Zionism in Israel is not the Balfour Declaration. It is the law of 1924 that was fixed in the United States against emigration. If you want to understand the, the, the date of the birth of the idea of an Israeli state, it's first of all 1924. Till 1924, more or less 3 million of emigrants from the East went to the West, coming to the United States, from New York, from Montreal, till Buenos Aires. In the same time, it was something like, you know, 60,000 that went to Palestine. After the law of 24, we can see much more, much more emigration to Palestine, especially in the 30s, the German Jews that were kicked out because of the Nazism. I followed all these steps. I try to, to understand the place of the land of Israel and also the world, the concept. The land of Israel is not a biblical concept at all. It's a Talmudic religious concept. It's not a geopolitical concept at all. Only Zionism took this concept and built of it a notion of a homeland or national territory. Now, not to be too long, I will stress one thing. The notion of the land of Israel, the notion of the historical right of the Jews on the land. By the way, in my point of view, it's a crazy notion. After 2,000 years, 
to have a historical notion uh, right. It's unbelievable. You can imagine it. If we will try to fix the world after the historical rights of people on lands, we have to support the Serb when they try to destroy, destroy the Kosovar. It's not 2,000 years. It's 200 years. There were people for the Serb dialect that were living in Kosovo. Mm -hmm. Then if the Jews has a right on the land, why the Serbs don't have a right on Kosovo? Why the Arabs has not a right on Spanish? Uh, of uh, Spain. And we can continue till Manhattan. Why the Indians, the Indians will ha have not a right to kick out all the white and black people in Manhattan? It's not 2,000 years. And maybe you, you will start to think about kicking out the Normans from here. <laughs> there is, you know, it's a crazy thing, the notion of historical right. And it is in the health of the Zionism, the historical right. But what is the, the relationship of all these stories with the political actuality? What is the reason the Zionists left nice people? I imagine that you heard Amos Oz. You know who is Amos Oz, Alebet Yeshua. The second one is a friend. You see, there are nice people that are against the occupation of the occupied territories. Very nice people that think that the Jews has not to dominate. 45 years, a Palestinian population without any rights, not 45 days, not 45 months, 45 years, keeping a population without any political, civic, or trade union rights. Now, this nice left people, liberal Zionists, from 67, they have a problem. Because if they justified Zionism with the idea that there is a historical right, that the land of Israel was always a homeland for the Jew, what is the problem? The homeland of the Jew after the Zionist meet is not Tel Aviv, not Haifa, not the coast. Where is the homeland, the mythology, biblical homeland of the Jew? Bethlehem, Jerusalem, Hebron, Nablus, Jericho. This is the homeland. Every child in Israel is studying the Bible as a historical book from seven years old till the uh, 18 years. And he knows that this is the homeland. It's Jericho. It's Bethlehem. Then how come that Amos Oz, Alebet Yeshua, the left Zionist, asking to leave all these places of our homeland? It's for them is to live to, you will renounce of Cambridge and Oxford. Do you understand it? This is the homeland. In the biblical time, Tel Aviv, Haifa, wasn't important in the myth. But these areas are important. Then all these Zionists, leftists, liberals, nice people, they are advising to go out from the homeland to a foreign place that is called Tel Aviv. OK, I am a patriot. Do you know it? I was asked today 
What is my homeland? It's not Paris, it's not London. What is my homeland? I think it's Tel Aviv. It's not the land of Israel. Because the land of Israel has not borders. What is the danger of all this meat today? The land of Israel has not borders. It's not the Jordani. The term the land of Israel is not stopping a Jordani at all. In the Zionist myth, the land of Israel is still Rabat Amon, still Amman. It's a part of the land of Israel. If it didn't, we wouldn't stop in Jordani. If we conquered also the other well, part. You'd have to go to Syria and into Iraq. The Syria is a part of our land, of our homeland. It's not a Jew. From the Egypt river to the, to the Nile. Yeah. To, the, to the Euphrates. Yeah. Now, I will not come to political questions. I imagine that you will have it in your questions, and I will stop here. Okay? okay. Well, thank you very much indeed for that. And I think we, um, we'll now open the meeting to, to questions. There'll be quite a few of those. Um, I'll take that one there. There's a hand there. Uh, Shomo, you said that... Um, the land of Israel was not delineated in the Bible. There's no mention of Israel in the Bible. <clears throat> I would point you to Ezekiel chapter 47, Ezekiel 40 verse 2, Samuel 13, 19, and Chronicles 34, 7. Israel is mentioned several times in the Bible. And, uh, How many? So is Judah. Now, I didn't interrupt you. Don't interrupt me, Shlomo. Okay. Excuse me, could people identify them? Jonathan Hoffman. Thank you. Um, the... Um, the second point, the second point, Shlomo, you say Israel, well, Israel is not a biblical concept. Um, unfortunately, you've written yet another book which shows you're an academic fraud. You cherry-pick sources that you pretend proves your point. You even take them out of context when you suits you. The only people who believe you are those who've already made up their minds that Zionism is the root of all evil. You're a charlatan, Shlomo. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> you can answer that. You can answer that. Yeah. I will answer very, very shortly. You know, we are lucky today, because of the internet, to have search machine. How we say it in the, uh, search machine? Search engine. 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 Search engine. You know, yeah. the Bible is online. You know it. Also, the New Testament. Don't be afraid. The, <laughs> the Bible is online now. After this meeting, I advise you to go at home to put the term land of Israel. By the way, it, you, uh, no, you've had your say, Mr. Hoffman. Uh, no, you're not. Sorry that I interrupted you. You will continue all the evening because of it? Now, I, I repeat one thing. I ask you. Eleven times in the Bible, we have the concept of the land of Israel. Most of the places, it's clear that this is the land of the kingdom of North Israel kingdom, not Judea. 
Jerusalem is not a part of the land of Israel in the Bible. I insist. There is sentence that it's not clear, but there is others in the 11 sentence that mentioned the, the term land of Israel. It's clear that Jerusalem is not a part of the land of Israel because the land of Israel, because it wasn't a concept of land of Israel. Now, if 11 times you can find the land of Israel, you will find more than 50 times the term land of Canaan has a term of this place. Now, you can find there 25 times, I think. Don't, don't catch me in the, in, with numbers of the land of Judea, but not the land of Israel. Now, there is a discussion. It's a biblical time or not. Now, do you know the names of uh, Joseph, Joseph Flavius, the yes. great, great historian, Jewish historian, yes. that were living after the Bible? Do you know the book of the Maccabi? Maccabi? By the way, in the Puritan Revolution, it was a very popular book because Combell saw himself a Judah, the Maccabi. Anyway, the book of Maccabi, Joseph Flavius, Philon from Alexandria, all the literature of what he called the Second Temple, there is not even one sentence that mentions the land of Israel. This concept didn't exist in all this literature. And I repeat, Joseph Flavius, the book of Maccabah, Philon d'Alexandre, all the things that we have after the Bible, the name of the land of Israel doesn't exist, my friend, my Jewish friend. We don't want to no. hear from Mr. Hoffman again. I say it doesn't exist. Saying. One moment. It's very important to understand. It doesn't exist as the term that applied to this territory, to the promised land. You understand me? In, in the Talmud, they mention a lot of time, the land of Israel is concept, a religious concept of the Mishnah and the Talmud. And by the way, the borders of the land of Israel in the Mishnah, in the Talmud, in the real Judaism, in my point of view, you know what is the borders of the land of Israel in the Mishnah and the Talmud? There is borders. It's from uh, the Egypt River. No, 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 oh. not at all. This is very interesting. Oh, it's from I don't know the name. Akra, John, uh, Akko, Akra, 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 from Akra till Ashkelon. This is the land of Israel in the Talmud. You have to know it if you discuss about terms. Okay, what is this, the second thing? That, ah, yes, I am a fraud. You see? Well, I don't think we need it to go into me. that. Yeah. It, it we touched me a lot. But after, I am quite sure that I, when you said it, you were a good lecture of me. You read the book. Shlomo, yeah. I, don't think, I don't think we should pursue that. We Thank you very much. We shouldn't pursue, we shouldn't pursue that. Uh, I mean, as, as to this, we've had enough of it. As, as, to the, um, as to the detail about uh, the, the, you know, where land of Israel is mentioned or not mentioned, read the book and do your own research. But I think we've, we can move on from that point. Now, okay. Can we have another question on it? 
There's one over there, yes. Sorry, there are plenty. It's difficult to do, get the right order. I've got the microphone. No, let's have this one first, right. and then we'll go over there. Come on, ask your question. Uh, wait, wait, because even we can't hear. Yusuf Sharif, King's College London. Professor, when you wrote this, these books, um, didn't you fear that your arguments will be used by people who are against the existence of Israel? Um, did, you, did you face this problem when writing it? Thank you. That's a good question. You want to say something? Yeah. As you know, politically, uh, to, to answer, as you know, politically, I'm a very moderate person. No, it's not a joke. It's not a joke. Historically, I consider myself, as Donald said before, very, very radical by decomposing the myth. But you have to know, politically, I'm for a solution of two states. I never was in my life against the existence of the Israeli state. By the way, not of a Jewish state. Because, as you know very well, there is 25% of the population, citizens of Israel, that are not Jew. I don't, uh, I don't want that uh, Britain will define itself as the state only of the Englishman. You agree with me? Then politically, I'm very moderate. I'm for two states, Israeli state and Palestinian state, confederated. Okay? I'm not from one state solution. You understand me? Now, writing the book, I was thinking that, uh, you know, people that don't agree with me politically, it's, they can use it. But if somebody really read my book, read my conclusions, he knows very well that I am not against the, the existence of Israel today. We cannot go back in history. Even if Zionism, even the myth, nice thing, the myth, for me, become lies. Because, you know, when the myth decomposes, it's become a lie. But it doesn't mean that you can go back now, but thinking like this, you cannot produce books. I think that I am very careful in my conclusions, political conclusions, try to read the second one, okay? But you know, people interpret you. You see what the people made with the Bible, okay? <laughs> the people that wrote the books of the Bible, uh, sorry, the people that wrote the books of the Bible they didn't know that they will be used by the Zionists 2,000 years, uh, 4,000 years later or 3,000 years later. Yes. Can we, can we go on to another question? Yes. Okay, thank you very much. Uh, there's somebody at the back who was... The, this woman. Woman at the back. Right. Um, the question of the, the, the two, two things, the land and the people. The, 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 the Jewish people have a very clear identity, whether they're secular, whether they're religious, they, uh, whether they're in Israel or in the diaspora. There's something that holds them together and has held them together all that time, in spite of the fact that they haven't had a land, and the world has benefited hugely from those people. And those people for various reasons in history have been deprived of a land and it's time that the world allowed them to have a small piece of the earth. I, 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 think, that, I, th I think that is a very important question and I think what, what certainly what's worried me throughout this, this whole discussion and in reading the books as well 
is what does it mean to be a Jew if, if the ethnic uh, character is missing uh, and if the attachment to the, to the land of Israel is missing? What does it mean? Because clearly there is still a Jewish people. What do you, what's your view on that? I will answer the, the woman. No. Before Hitler, most of the Germans from Jewish origin wanted to be Germans. Most of the French from Jewish origin wanted to be French. Dreyfus, one moment I will... Dreyfus was first of all a Frenchman. Most of, by the way, I, I'm, I'm putting forward that the first German were Jews. The first French really, because they were in the cities, because they were, were not peasants, they were the first people that belonged to the national culture in Germany in French. Okay? They become very, very French. I will tell you a little story that uh, was written in a book by an ex-Comintern agent in Germany. He was a member of the Communist Party, an agent of a Comintern. He was arrested by the Gestapo in 35 or 36, I don't remember. They sent him to the concentration camp. And he, it wasn't from Jewish origin, say that the most tragic thing in the concentration camp was the people that was arrested because they are Jews. The communists, the socialists, the trade unionists knew why they are in the concentration camp. The German Jew didn't know. They didn't understand why they had been arrested. And he says, he's writing, it was tragic to see these people, they didn't understand why they are arrested as Jews. No, I don't think, first of all, that always the Jews consider themselves Jews. From Trotsky till Rosa Luxemburg. I don't think so. A lot, a lot of people from Jewish origin saw themselves or Germans or Russian or French or socialist or communist, first of all. The question that you put forward, what is a secular Jew? It's a very important question, and this is my third book, The Invention of the Secular Jew. Who invented the secular Jew? The anti-Semitic. The racist that considered the Jews that belong to ethnic or to a race. And I try to show in the book that the Jews are not an ethnic and not a race. They are like everybody else here. A mix of a lot of origins, a lot of colors, a lot of cultures. The fact that today, in the beginning of the 21st century, so many people consider themselves a secular Jew and prefer to be a secular Jew much more than to be American or British, it's a very important phenomenon. My question is very simple. You see, I put forward the question, 
I can become a Christian if I want, you know, converted to Christianity. It's possible or not? With a lot of chance, I can become a British citizen. Yes or no? With a lot of difficulties, but I can become. Even if my broken English, you know, it's a problem, but I can become. I can become a member of the Labour Party or not? Even a conservative I can become. I can become Muslim. The, my question is very, very simple. How come that I can become a secular Jew if I'm not born with a Jewish mother? It's possible? Ah, but I'm an atheist. My mother is not Jew. And I want to belong to this club, to join the club of secular Jews. What is the way to join the club? Yes, I know, in the Russian Empire, nobody wants to join the club. In Vichy, under Vichy, nobody wants to join the club. Before Auschwitz, nobody wants to join the club. But today, when we are in the side of the strong people, the Americans, first of all, the Europeans, what is the way to join the club, to become a secular Jew? There is a possibility. Now, this is a long discussion. It's not so simple what I put forward. It will be my next book. One thing I decided in the beginning of the 21st century. You see, I become more and more old like everybody here. And before approaching the exit, the sortie, I decided that I don't want to belong to exclusive clubs, only to inclusive clubs, that everybody can join the club. Why I decided? Because I came from a Jewish background, and I know very well the history of the Jews in the 20th century. I don't want to belong to your secular Jewish club because it's an exclusive club and not an inclusive club. And there are a lot of many that want to join the club today. Now, not only this, <clears throat> I am living in a state that defines itself as a Jewish state when 25 of the people there, the citizens, are not Jew. I cannot accept it. Especially that I am privileged there. My Palestinian-Israeli student, Israeli, Israel, uh, Israeli citizens, has not the privilege that I have. Now, if you are from a, from a Jewish origin, you can come tomorrow to Israel, in three, four days become an Israeli citizen, coming back to London, and feeling that this little land is your land, but it's not the land of my student, Palestinian student, Israeli citizens, not at all. I cannot accept to belong to your exclusive club. Sorry. I'm Israeli. Can I just say one thing? I want to make Israel a state like Britain, a state of its citizens. All the citizens. Not from the chosen, your chosen. Mr. Mr. Hoffman, please, we've had enough from you. Leave if you don't like it. Ah, you want that I will join you in London? You asked me to join you in London. Don't advise it. It will be much more.
Problems for you in London when I will be near you. Just one, just one uh, administrative thing. Nobody's told me when this meeting is uh, is supposed to end. Eight thirty. Well, I, I was, I was, I was proposing to stop at eight thirty in any event. So we've got, we've got another. Sorry if I was too so. long. No, no, it's quite all right. Uh, okay, well, let's have another question. We've got somebody up at the back there. Um, Professor, can I remind you of a, a lovely statement of Queen Victoria to Mr. Gladstone? She said, my dear Mr. Gladstone, it really doesn't matter a jot what you think of me. What matters is what I think of you. Similarly, uh, for us Jews in the Galut, in the diaspora, it really doesn't matter what we think we are, whether we think we're secular or labor or conservative. What matters in our history is what the host community think of us. Now, I want to make that point. The second point is a question to you. Are you by any chance aware of the work in Israel of Mr. Tzvi Misinai? Does that name ring anything to you? I met him. You met him, you know him. So anyhow, for the audience, he's written a book called Brother Shall Not Lift Up Sword Unto Brother. And it's a very interesting point that he makes, that in accordance with the work done by David Ben-Gurion and President Ben-Tzvi about the people of the land of Israel, he argues actually that the Palestinians in there, and argues very cogently with charts going all the way from AD 68 to 1948, that the Palestinians are in fact Jews. And they, a, lot, have, a lot of the people have vestigial Jewish customs in their families and tribes and traditions. And I know that the Shomronim, the Samaritans up in Nabla, have had Judaism in Israel unbroken for over 2,000 years. And a lot of the people who live in Shechem are, in fact, Shomronim, Samaritan, or Jews. Would you like to make a comment on that, if you can? Yeah, very quickly about the first question that, uh, you know, the anti-Semitic made the Jew, the secular Jew. Sartre wrote a, a little book about this, very interesting book. The look of others as a part of my self-definition, my self-identity. You are right. All my life, I say that I will continue to be a Jew till the last anti-Semitic person will live with me on this planet. Lately, because political, public anti-Semitism disappeared in the Western world, not marginal anti-Semitism, I am speaking about political, public anti-Semitism. You cannot compare today the marginal anti-Semitism with a century between 1850, 1950, what it was to be a Jew in Europe. 1850 till 1950. It was serious, the anti-Semitism, the Judophobia at that time. Nothing to compare to today. Now, the fact that the Jewish are, you know, the Zionists are using this Jewish identity because, you know, it's an empty uh, identity in some way, for a secular, not for a religious Jew. It's empty because you don't have a specific secular Jewish culture. There is not a future with this identity. This is empty. I'm not speaking about religious Jews. To be defined only by your enemies, it's a very important thing, but you cannot, I don't accept it. Especially that Israel are using this identity today in its politics. The instinctive support of Israel by a lot of Jews, 
that cannot find other, you know, other acts of identity, of Jewish secular identity, they identify themselves with two things. Two things put forward in this Jewish identity. It's the Shoah in Israel. You know, if a tragedy becomes the center of your identity, you have to think about it. I advise you to think about it. It can be very pervert. You have to understand. Now about the second question. Svimi Sinai is a nice guy, a right-wing guy, very nice one, that very, very early understood that keeping this Palestinian population in this condition till now, it's not possible. He is from a great land of Israel, Tzvimi Sinai. And then, like me, he found the writings of uh, Ben-Gurion, ben and others, Belkin and others, saying that the, you know, the real descendant of the ancient Hebrew is the Palestinian. I think that he exaggerates. I, I don't think that the Palestinians are the real descendant of the ancient Hebrew. Because everybody is mixed, as I said before. Every conqueror of the Palestine lands, you know, left his sperm, how is it? Sperm. You yes. know, specialist of seeds. <laughs> seeds. You know, seeds are, is a more seeds. polite. Uh, I'm telling to my student, the Palestinian Israeli student, don't believe that you are the chosen people. Not. My concept of identity, my concept of nationality is not biological concept. I attacking the genetics research about what is a Jew. You know, the, the difficult to define in Israel what is a Jew, a secular Jew, put a lot of people in the road to, to define Jews by genetics. You know, you heard about it. I was attacked by it. It's unbelievable, not in Britain. They were very, very careful not to mix genetics with, uh, with the culture. But in the United States, all the attacks in the United States say no. The Jews are a people. The Jews are race people because the genetics, the DNA, is common for the Jews. It's a bluff. It's not serious. It's only the Yeshiva University in New York. Now, I don't believe the Palestinians are the real Jews because Jews, for me, is a cultural concept, not a genetic. They are not Jews at all. They are Muslims, Christians, not Jews. You understand? Because for me, Jewishness is, first of all, before everything, a very important religion in the Western world. They are not Jews. But the chance that a member of Hamas living in Hebron will be much more a direct descendant of the ancient Hebrew is thousand times more possible than me. Thank you. <laughs> Okay, I'm going to bring in uh, Professor Sassoon now. I'd like to comment well, on the uh, same point. Just to, to add on, on this eternally fascinating topic of, you know, who is a Jew. Uh, you know, Freud has a sense, you know, who is a Jew? And he says, well, I don't know. I, the religion, I'm not religion. Uh, I don't speak Hebrew. I've not, you know, there's a long list of things he, he's not. Yet, I cannot put it in words. Can you imagine the great... The, the founding father of a talkative, talkative cure, yeah. you know, the of, one the where you, you, he could not find the words to define. It was something imponderable. But like you, I was uh, rather taken by Jean-Paul Sartre's famous uh, essay that the Jew 
in a way is defined by the antisemite, that it is the others. And you know, some identities we choose, football teams, stuff like that, but even that is, there is a, a social and cultural environment which may force us towards one direction or, or another. another one. Um, but on the whole, yes, we also respond. And that was the kind of Jew I was, the one you say is invented. I mean, a secular Jew because not the religion and so on. But then, recently, I've become more Jewish. Not because I reread the Bible or I had a, you know, a sort of return. No, the, it's not the anti-Semite which made me more Jewish. You fall in love in a Jewish girl? No. Uh, <laughs> Not that, Shlomo, much more interesting, uh, or, or less, or less in interesting. No, I have become, like many others, I think like you, we had a conversation yeah. about this mm. once. Uh, I have become more Jewish, not because of anti-Semitism, because frankly, in my entire life, I haven't really encountered anything which could remotely be described as serious anti-Semitism. I may have been lucky, but that's, that's the way. No, what made me more Jewish is the state of Israel, but not because it's my state, precisely because it is not my state. It's your state. You're an Israeli citizen. I'm definitely not, but because it calls itself the state of the Jews, and somehow it involves me in everything it does. And I cannot sort of just shrug my shoulders, as I did for many years, and say, this is nothing to do with me. They do whatever it is. I may dislike it, but then I'm not sure I like Chinese policies in Tibet or, you know, or Burma or something. But actually, it was not like that. And so I, I and some of the people, by the way, who are involved in independent Jewish voices, which uh, co-organize this, uh, in a way, we are saying not in our name. That is, I do not have a choice. You know, when, when Israel will be yeah, a yeah, state of all its citizens, yeah. including, of course, the Palestinians, and it will be a state like Egypt or Switzerland or France and so on, uh, and there will be no anti-Semitism, then I can relax and say I have so many other interesting identities, much wonderful, more than wonderful, the, than the Jewish one. Uh, it's very important. I treat you in the new book. I mention, not by name, I mention... I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't want to make you no. more difficulties that you have. Anyway, I mentioned this phenomenon of uh, people that define themselves as Jew, not Zionist Jew, that feel very badly with the militaristic behavior of the Israeli state. I mentioned you, I praised you. There is not a problem. By the way, I didn't deny the Jewish identity. It's stupid. I denied the existence of a Jewish secular culture. Oh. You know, it's a fact that there are people that define themselves Jews. I praise you in the book. You help me as an Israeli citizen. No problem. I don't think that you have a future as a Jew. It's very, very important politically. OK. I remember in 82, I was a student in the war of Lebanon. I was a student in Paris. And suddenly, Pierre Vidal came, I, the, the, called me and said, Shlomo, we are organizing a demonstration before the Israeli uh, embassy against the war. You have to mobilize all your friends, Israeli friends, to come to the demonstration. This is under the name Jews Against the Lebanon War. 
And I asked him, yeah, but uh, you know, it's a problem. I cannot bring other people, not Jews, to the demonstration. And I had a lot of friends, not Jew. I think it's a problem. Till now, it's a problem. But you know, I praise you, the book, that you exist. It's very important. Thank Against you. anti-Semitism. But one thing is important. If you think, because of your position, because of your origin, because of your sensibility, that you have more a right to accuse, to attack, to critic Israel than non-Jew, this I'm against. You understand me? Mm -hmm. If you take the right to criticize Israel more than a non-Jew is doing it, I cannot accept it. You understand me? No, but, but I don't think mm -hmm. that you have a right more than a non-Jew to criticize the militaristic, racist attitude of the Israeli government today in face of the Palestinian people. But I appreciate a lot. I belong, by the way, Jewish for the peace in, in the Middle East in, in Paris. But I say that it is, you know, it, it's, you know, it's a passenger, you understand? Transitory. Transitory. Yeah. It's not, I have a Jewish past. I have an Israeli present. In my desire to have an universalistic future, I have a Jewish past. I came from Jewish origin, from Jewish culture origin. It's clear for me. But my present is an Israeli culture. There is an Israeli theater. There is an Israeli cinema. There is a literature, Israeli literature. There is not a Jewish theater. There is not a Jewish cinema. Harold Pinter, your Harold Pinter, was a British playwright from Jewish origin, East European Jewish. But he, he didn't write Jewish uh, plays. I admire Erlo and, and even if he had written Jewish plays, like, say, Webster or others, where the characters are Jews and so on, they would be British Jews, exactly. usually British Jews exactly. from exactly. Germany or we Poland agree. or Basically Russia. I mean, I say this because there is a sort yeah. of, you know, when people talk about Jewish sense of humor, they, they think Woody Allen, they think American sense of humor. Well, that's... Jewish American sense of humor. Wonderful. Not, not only uh, this, I will not. in the or book. Or Jewish food. Well, it depends. In the United States, <laughs> in Jewish Morocco, food. they did have a Jewish well, exactly. food. Exactly. You know, it's certainly not my food, frankly, which is much better exactly. than the sort of Polish <laughs> stuff. <laughs> now, look, we've got very, we've got very little time left, so I want to give more people a chance to to comment and ask questions. Now, would anyone else like yes, to come please. in? Okay, there you are. Then, to your, to your, now's your time. Professor, I congratulate you on your lucid uh, deconstruction of the myth of ethnicity and state. But uh, I have news. The settlers aren't going back. And besides, there's room for them in the West Bank. There's no problem. As long as the Palestinians can inhabit Israel. So why not the one-state solution? You want a universalistic approach, after all. It's very simple. To a sta one state solution, you need the agreement of the Israeli society, Jewish Israeli society. You cannot build a one state without the agreement, the consensus of the Israeli Jews. You accept it. To kick out the Israeli army from the occupied territories, we don't have to wait to the agreement of the Israeli society. 
But to build one state, logically, you need the agreement, the consensus of the Israeli Jews. Now, you really believe that one of the racist, most racist societies in the Western world, they will accept to become from a day to tomorrow a minority in their own state? You really believe in it? This no, is. I would like to hear voices from Israel. Say yeah, but I told you. To you see, you understand. It's not a. You know, sometimes, as historian, I have to stress it. Events in history has bad influence. Models have bad influence. The French Revolution, the Bolshevik Revolution, had very, very bad influence of the process of the of the, uh, development of the socialism Europe. In my point of view. Thought Africa as a model make a lot of difficulties in the left in the Western world. Because, you know, they found a solution in South Africa for one state between white and blacks. Everything is supposed to be okay. But there is a big difference between South Africa and Israel. The white in South Africa couldn't live without the blacks from economical point of view. The Zionism was much more clever than the Afrikaners, much more clever. They built a society, an economy, with the, you know, with the principle of uh, pure ethnization. You understand? They don't depend on the force of labor, Palestinian force of labor. You understand? Only the march. They can live, the Israeli society, without the Palestinian. This is the reason that I stress that the notion of one-state solution morally is the best solution. It's clear for me. I'm living much better with art today than with people like But I'm a realist. I want to live in the Middle East. You understand me? I don't believe in a one-state solution. Sorry. Because you cannot convince today. Now, the world, and even the Arab League, accept the existence of an Israeli state in the 67 war. You know it. I think that everybody here that is afraid from this conflict, dangerous conflict, not far from here, because of the existence of a nuclear war, had to support a solution of two states, but not a Jewish state and an Arab state. A Israeli state with all its citizens and a Palestinian state of all its citizens. By the way, the settlers that want to continue to live in their settlements in the West Bank, they can become Palestinian citizens with equal rights. And when I meet Palestinian representatives, I say, this is not an issue. If they want to become a Palestinian state like British citizens, it's okay. Without all this privilege in water, in land, and also the fact they are the, you know, the owner of this land of Israel. You understand me? Yes, if settlers want to continue to live in a Palestinian state, I am for it. I want to get rid of them from the Israel. <laughs> okay, well, I think, unfortunately, we've, we've now come to... Uh, a point at which we need to bring the meeting to an end. Uh, there's still a lot of questions, I know. Perhaps I can just take one more question. We've got a couple of minutes. I haven't taken so many from the back. There's somebody right at the very back. I will come back with the next book, okay? <laughs> then we will continue. Yeah, come back with the next book. Just one question from the back.
Ashley Dickinson, Christian Friends of Israel. Whether we call it the land of Canaan or Israel, the fact of the matter is it is the land promised to them by our Father God in Genesis chapters 12, 13, 15, All right. Exodus 33, Psalm 105. And by the way, I'm coming to my question. It's not quite true that there's no there is no well. that there is representation for Palestinians in the Knesset. Three Arab. Can, can you Palestinians. just ask a question? Because we're very short of time. Is, the Jews were exiled from the land of Israel by the Romans and persecuted for centuries afterwards. Don't you believe that your book, by claiming that this wasn't true, belittled the depths of the persecution that the Jewish people have faced throughout the ages? I'm not just talking about Nazi Germany either. Imperial Russia, those of us who have seen Fiddler on the Roof, seen how the occupants <laughs> of Anatevka were turfed out. No, I'm sorry, what is your question, question. In, one, in one sentence? I'm asked, I'm Jews were exiled from the land of Israel by the Romans, persecuted for centuries, and don't you believe no, your book, not. The Invention of the Jewish People, belittles the depths of persecution that they had to face? Centuries afterwards. The, the question is, do you think it belittles the, the, the suffering? Does the, what you're saying about the, the uh, exile um, belittle the suffering that the Jews have suffered since? The Jews suffered under the Christian domination in the Western world. They suffered under this domination, Christian domination, much more than other under the Islam. As you know, because you started with history, the Jews were not expelled from Palestine, Canaan, Judah, not at all. You will not find, if you will find one book, historical research book that described the, expel, uh, the, the exile of the Jews from Judah, I will give my demission to the Tel Aviv University. I promise. That's, that's the end. It, it's you the... heard me. Now, about the suffering, yes. The Jews suffer a lot from the Christian churches, all of them. For the Christianity, the legitimacy of another monotheism wasn't natural. You have to understand. Only one Israel could exist in the Christian tradition. Verus Israel is one, the son of Jesus Christ, not the Jew. By the way, no, the Jesus Christ was a Christian. He wasn't a Jew. Sorry. If you think, if you think that you are defined genetically, okay, Jesus Christ is a Jew. I think Jewishness is something more important. What you think about Jews? I don't think that the Jews were expelled. But if you really want to understand Zionism, really, you have to know two things. Zionism was a secular movement that said that God promised us the land before he died. God is death, but he promised it before the land. About anti-Semitism, yes, anti-Semitism was one of the deep culture of Christi Christianity, anti-Judaism. But it is the past. Christian people like you today Love Jews. And I am very happy about it. And today, more and more, I am convinced that if in the past 
an anti-Semitic was a person that didn't like Jews. Today, an anti-Semitic is a person that the Jews don't like him. Thank you very much. Okay. Thank you very much. Well, I'm going to bring this meeting to an end. If anybody wants to, to buy the book, I think it's right here. This the latest the book chance. and the other book. But this is a matter for, for the publishers who are here. Do you want to say anything finally about, about the... Uh, thank, about you the very, thank you very much for kind of arranging the meeting for us. It was very entertaining, very interesting. And yes, it's also available on the discount. And thank you very much to our speakers. And thank you all for coming.